and welcome to Analyze This, the self-help podcast that just can't help itself. I am one of two Hannahs, Hannah Hart, and today I will be talking with the one, the only, Cerise Castle. Now, for those of you who don't know, Cerise reported on one of the best local L.A. news stories of our generation. Wow! Doesn't that sound fascinating and great? Don't you want to listen to this whole episode? Well, guess what? You're about to. Enjoy! Hi, Cerise. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. I gotta say, you and I, um, you know, we share something, and it is, it's having an, a really excellent name, I think. Yes, yes. Do you feel me? I do. do. I do. <laughs> it's, we both have pretty great names. They're both alliterations. They're, you've got CC. Do you, ever, do you ever get correspondences that people include you on because of, of CC? Ah, uh, <laughs> no. But maybe I will okay. in the future. Yeah, there you go. And Cerise <laughs> Castle. I mean, it's such a cool name. It's a, it, it gives off the energy of such fortitude. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, maybe my parents like knew that I would want to become a reporter. Who knows? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about yourself. You've, you're a um, what I like to refer to as a young person, I believe, <laughs> is, the, is the term that we use these days. You're a young person. Uh, but you're also a very brave and intrepid young reporter. Have you always been interested in, in journalism and following that path? Oh, 100%, yes. Um, I knew that I wanted to be a reporter um, when I visited, uh, when I was about 12, I think. I went on a field trip with my um, eighth grade class, 12 or 13, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Um, and we went to DC, the whole American history tour. And we also went to New York. Um, and when we were in New York, we went to the filming of a national morning news broadcast, um, which was hosted at that time by Miss um, Ann Curry. And she came out into the plaza where all the people used to gather with their signs back in the day. Do you remember that? That was like how you like used to communicate with the public was you had to just like try to get on TV with a crazy sign to make your oh, point. Yes, find <laughs> something. Yes. Yeah, pre-social media. That was like what we had to do. Um, <laughs> but in any case, after after the filming, um, Anne came out at one point and she was you know, being friendly, talking to everyone. And she came over to talk to our group and she started talking to me. And she asked me, um, you know, how things were going in school, um, what my favorite subjects were, if I had thought about what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, and I told her I wasn't sure, but that I really liked history and I really liked English. And she said, oh, you might want to consider becoming a journalist. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, so I went home and I joined the school newspaper and I've been journalisming ever since. I, I mean, if a pretty shiny person who just came off camera walked up to me and said, I think you should become a journalist, I too would probably be like, yeah, <laughs> great path. Good. That's a great idea. But did you, okay. So then you went straight into journalism after that. You know, I was on my, uh, my school newspaper also. Oh, you were. Mm -hmm. I actually have a, quite the fondness for journalism and journalists. I worked at the School of Journalism at, at my 
my school. I went to Berkeley and I worked at the Graduate School of Journalism um, mm -hmm. under the tutelage of Lenita Pace Hinton, who was just the most incredible just educator that, I mean, she gave me a great education. But anyway, this isn't about me, Cerise, it's about you. <laughs> so as someone born and raised in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. did you dream of writing for the LA Times? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, and I've been rejected by the LA Times uh, 10 times now, still counting. Um, so it didn't ever materialize for me. But I mean, that's something I've learned is that sometimes the things that you grow up grow up thinking you want to do aren't always as warm and fuzzy as they looked to a child when you get to that point um and sometimes realizing and accomplishing your dreams looks like something completely different that you never thought of before but is ends up being a really great great thing um and that's what happened with this reporting. Um, it was something that I definitely wanted to pen for a legacy. Um, I grew up here in Los Angeles and I've heard about deputy gangs from the time I was a little kid um, in the 90s um, all the way up to today. Um, and it was something mm. that I always wanted to find out more about. I've always been um, very academically inclined, we shall say. Um, so I was always the kid um, spending their free time in the library, um, reading the, I started reading the newspaper when I was like 10, um, very nerdy. And I was always looking for more information about these deputy gangs, um, whether I, I remember going to the library and looking for books about them. I remember looking in newspaper archives, trying to find information, but there was never anything there. Um, did you have any inkling of, like, I'm nervous. You don't so have I'm to just, be nervous with me. <laughs> I know, but, you know, I am because it's, it's, uh, it's, um, I mean, you know, we, we're touching on topics that are, it's horror, mm -hmm. you know, it's horror. So as a child, when you're looking for information on, well, let's walk it backwards. For people who live outside Los Angeles or for people like me who only heard about deputy gangs last year, and I honestly only learned about it from, I knew about cops, but this specific issue that is in our home, mm -hmm. I learned about from your work. But going back to the young Cerise who was researching this, did you know why this information wasn't there? Were you asking your parents? Were you curious? Like, how did you, what were you concluding then, even at that young age? Um, well, I was really confused why nothing was there. Um, but it also didn't surprise me. Um, the information that I was getting on deputy gangs mostly came from uh, either my peers. I grew up um, in and out of foster care, so I had contact with um, other youth that had been involved in the system. So I was hearing from them about deputy gangs. I was hearing from teachers about deputy gangs. Um, my mom, a couple of times, warned me about deputy gangs. My brother as well. Um, People who were trying to keep you safe. Right. Yeah. So I had I had, had these warnings. Um, and those warnings intrigued me because it didn't really... While it made sense to me that the police were doing bad things, I mean, I, 
all, essentially the 90s all of, in LA. it was the 90s in Los Angeles. Yes, this is stuff that I was like seeing very much um, in my waking life. So that checked out. But I was very confused about how the people that would be coming to my school and telling us like, don't don't join a gang, kids. Gangs are bad. I didn't really understand how they themselves were participating in gang life, had their own gangs, that sort of thing. That didn't really make sense. Um, so I tried very hard to find the answer. And I wasn't really surprised that there wasn't anything there because that's sort of been the case for other stories um, that and like generational knowledge that have been like passed down in my family and other families like and I think yeah. that happens a lot with a lot of stuff like in the black community and the Latino community there's there's stuff like this that like the knowledge hear, of lived experience exactly you like you hear this stuff from prior generations and it's it's true of course but there may not be that you know academic preservation Evidence, yes exactly right well yes of course yeah and I think that that uh, a lot of white people like myself, what I think people struggle with, um, you know, because, you know, I analyze this, we try and like open doors as to why people don't let this information in, this unfathomable stuff. Um, and a lot of it comes down to belief. And I think trauma knows trauma and survivors you can see it. And I think that people who don't have any firsthand experience with a negative interaction with police departments, et cetera, it, it doesn't, um, the capacity for belief has to come outside of their own lived experience. And I think people really struggle with that, which is why I found your series to be so thorough and so excellent and so crucial and important for people, even if you live outside Los Angeles, for people to learn about today and how many different ways they structure themselves to protect um, the way we abuse our judicial system in America. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I need to take a break. So let's all take a break and listen to this message from someone important. Enjoy! <laughs> Hi, my name is Cerise Castle, and I am a local reporter here in Los Angeles, California. Last year, I wrote the first ever history of deputy gangs inside the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, titled A Tradition of Violence, 50 Years of Deputy Violence Inside LASD. I found that there are at least 19 gangs inside the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department and that they've killed 19 people, all of whom were men of color. Lawsuits related to this litigation has cost Los Angeles County taxpayers over $100 million. To find out more about deputy gang malfeasance, please visit lasdgangs.com. Okay, so many years passed between you being a child, not many, not that many actually. <laughs> many years passed between you being a child and being an adult. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know? 
so anyway, many years passed between you being a child and an adult. Um, <laughs> yes, but let's 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 talk about that at least through the vantage point of journalism and your career. So, what was what mm-hmm. was the path you chose to take to get into journalism? Yeah, that's a that's a quite the story. Um, so yeah, I started doing journalism um, in high school at the school newspaper. And from there, I went on to Emerson College, where I majored in journalism. And while I was at Emerson, I was able to sort of start working in the industry. I um, had my own radio program um, on WERS, which was the only program um, in the state of uh, Massachusetts that we know of that played hip hop. I mean, yeah. we could do a whole episode about coming from Los Angeles and moving to Boston. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, I graduated in three years, so that tells you a lot about how much I like the city of Boston. And from Emerson, where did you where did you go next? Did you, you know, did you get out of college and get a job? It sucked. Um, after I got out of college, um, I was actually homeless for a little bit um, and was, I had a job, um, but uh, rent is very expensive here in Los Angeles and it was not enough to support me. Um, and I also was freelancing, but you know, having like 10 jobs, it still wasn't enough for me to have a home. So I spent some time, um, couch surfing and living out of my car. Um, and that was really hard and it really sucked. Um, and it's a reality that I like really don't want other young journalists to have to go through. Um, it was just really horrible. I also endured some like working experiences that were like frankly abusive because I didn't feel like I had another choice. Um, Mm. But luckily after about um, almost a year of doing that, um, I got a job at Marketplace, which is a finance program that airs on NPR. And with that job, I was able to finally get an apartment of my own and not live in my car anymore and start working full-time um as a journalist i was doing before like 50 percent retail management i was managing a store on melrose um and then nights mornings weekends i was doing my freelancing and that was just not sustainable um so luckily um i was able to get my foot in the door at npr i worked there for about two years. Um, I started as an intern and I worked my way up to a producer, um, which was great. I learned a lot there. Um, had a really great team that I worked with. I worked with a bunch of women, which is like not at all the case in really any other place I've worked, but it was really great to have that be my first experience was working for this really lovely group of women, um, really diverse group. I'll also say, um, people from all over the world and, it was a really fabulous experience, um, and it taught me a lot, um, and it built my profile up to the point that um, I was actually recruited to come on and be a um, correspondent on a television program called Vice News Tonight um, that aired on HBO. Um, wow. So I, I just give me a second. You know, from the start <laughs> of this sentence, just to re- wait, hold on one second. Oh, oh. Good job, Cerise. <laughs> Good job. Good do you do a good job, dude. Like I'm, we started this at, I graduated from this prestigious private school, entered into homelessness, worked my 
like just worked so hard and preserved my humanity, then started working for Marketplace, which is, I've listened to this show. I can't even imagine the kind of cognitive dissonance you must have felt having just left the rea- like the economic realities for most Americans into, quote unquote, doing the numbers in the stock market. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Did you, did you, hubba hubba what? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where do you put this? And like, how do you operate? You know, like yeah. living. Yeah. If you could sum it up or not even sum it up, but like, I just want to make room for that, man, because you're you're functioning and that alone is so much but then to do that and to provide to share your gifts to use your abilities to to storytell and invite people into information they might not otherwise have access to what compel what drives you yeah um well I talk about this a lot in therapy <laughs> um, welcome but... to analyze this <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I've always been um, an advocate for the truth, um, and I've always been someone that um, wants wants the truth to be presented, no matter what. Um, it's so funny. I also recently got together with some some of my friends from high school, and we were just sort of like talking about where our lives have ended up. Um, and I was like telling them, I was like, oh, I'm like, so I'm surprised at myself that like this is that my work has been so successful. And they're like, Cerise, we are not surprised at all. You were talking about this stuff when we were like 14, telling us about like corruption inside state agencies. You were telling us about like investigations that the DOJ needs to do. Like you've always been on this tip, girl. And we like, were just excited to go to Claire's in the mall. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you've always been a bubble burster. You were here. To- <laughs> Very much so. They're like, you were always on some seriousness. Like, you've <laughs> always been this person. We are not not at all surprised at where your life has taken you. Um, so, yeah, I guess, like, it's always been a part of me in some way. And, I mean, I've always known I've wanted to be a journalist. I think that uh, it's so interesting. I mean, with the series, like it was something that I always wanted to read when I was younger. Mm. Um, and the, art, I, the, the, the information you wish you had found in the library, right. you were exactly. going to create for others to find. Exactly. Yeah. It's a very like full circle moment. And it takes incredible um, self-knowledge, self-trust and the kind of autonomy that, that suffering can bring like the box, this, you know, that that's the gift the gift side of the suffering is that you've developed it to be able to create the resources that you sought when you yeah. were younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of those resources specifically, when did you, you know, we last left off on the incredible adventures of Cerise Castle uh, at Vice News, HBO or whatever. Yes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> not or whatever. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah. So what happens next and how do you end up, how do you end up beginning your reporting on the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department? 
yeah, how do I end up freelancing again? Right? Seemed like oh, I yeah. Hey, how'd you lose your job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, from Marketplace, I went to Vice. Um, I was recruited. I guess someone heard me on the radio and thought, yeah, we want that girl. So I got an email from a casting director who invited me to come down and do a screen test. And I did it. And I guess I did well, because a week later, they called me and said, we're going to fly you to New York. And we're going to pay you a six figure salary. And you're going to be on TV. And whoa, yeah, just coming from, you know, where I had been like, three years prior, it was really like, God, I was so proud of myself. Um, I had read Vice like from the time I was in high school. So being asked to come be a correspondent on their television show and finally like making a lot of money, like enough money where I could, you know, start thinking about my future um, and really, really be secure for the first time in my life. That was that was really huge. And it felt really special. Um, working at Vice uh, was kind of touch and go, um, to be honest. Um, it doesn't have the best when I was there. I don't know how it is today, but mm. when I was there, it didn't have the best workplace culture. There was a lot of sexism. There was a lot of racism. Um, this is a story I tell a lot, um, with my mentees, um, at Vice, and this is very much sort of like sums up the state of journalism for, people that aren't white men. Mm. Um, I remember advice. I remember pitching this story to my, to my boss and it was about the legacy of Jim Crow. And I, I given him my pitch. I give, give him my whole spiel and I'm like, okay, like, so what do you think? Can we do the story? And he looks at me up and down for a second. And then he says, well, what's Jim Crow? Oh um, my God. Yeah. So that, that was pretty much working at Vice. Um, I did make a lot of money. It did raise my profile. But at the same time, um, I was also the most depressed that I had ever been in my life. I got on antidepressants for the first time. I went back to therapy. Um, it was really bad. And then eventually I, um, I was I laid off. <laughs> Oh, fuck. I mean, dude, the emotional labor. Like, I think when people don't understand the phrase, quote unquote, emotional labor, like if, if somehow you are listening to this podcast and have yet to uh, grok what this what that means, it is this person and it is this person in a position of power asking someone to do the emotional labor, someone who has been affected by this intergenerationally to do the emotional labor of explaining what's Jim Crow? Um, yeah. that's shocking. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad you got laid off. <laughs> yeah, that, that was quite the experience being laid off. Um, yeah, I won't say it, a lot of us were laid off at that time. Um, and then the show was canceled. So a lot of people lost their jobs. It was, it was really sad. It was hard and for a few people. Um, what year was that? I want to say 2019, 2018. So just before the pandemic? Just before the pandemic, yeah. Um, so I had a couple of months after that where I was unemployed again, fun employed. Um, Unemployment. <laughs> yeah, luckily because um, I had that really cush salary, it was not a struggle like it had been the last time I was looking for steady work. Um, 
so I was blessed in that way. I was able to continue freelancing, um, which was great. Um, I had friends that had their own projects who were nice enough to hire me on to, um, you know, do easy things like um, project manage for them or be a production assistant on their set. I got to PA a couple of porn shoots, which was Ooh. really fun. Um, fun. I actually really enjoyed that um, porn industry. Has might have a more great, of a they have a more, more healthy a working culture. Yeah, I was yes. about to say. <laughs> you know, yes. because yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, t- talk about putting it all out there. You know, uh, totally. Like, let's, yeah, talk about being <laughs> candid. Um, wow. Okay, so all of this came together, and then you enter into. You know, I'm not going to make you rehash why you felt compelled to do this compelling work. Uh, Rather, for when we get back, we're going to take another break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about where you are today, where the work is today, and what's coming up. So, listeners, earbuds, keep on listening to this podcast you selected to listen to. So, uh, I'll talk to you in a second. Bye. Hello, do you consider yourself a patron of the arts? Do you want to keep art alive and living as society collapses? You know, they say that's the last sign of societal collapse is the death of art. Anyway, speaking of art, you can support art directly by becoming a patron. And we have a convenient online system to help you do it. It's patreon.com slash this. There are some delightful perks there, including never-before-heard affirmations spoken by yours truly. And, um, you know, also like coffee mugs. If that's your jam, either way, check it out at patreon.com slash analyze this. If you would like to become a patron of this podcast for as little as $5 a month, $5 a month, would you buy me one cup of coffee? That would be great. It would be an exceptional cup of coffee, more like a latte, probably a cappuccino, but thank you for it. It keeps me going. And I hope that with that energy, I can help keep you going too. So head over to patreon.com slash analyze this. That's H-A-N-N-A-H-L-Y-Z-E-T-H-I-S. Patreon.com slash analyze this. Now let's get back to the episode. And we're back here with Cerise Castle, uh, the incredible, intrepid, investigative reporter. Um, So as much as I want to stay talking about porn, let's get back to uh, your your journalism, journalistic path. So when did you, after after the Vice experience, after coming back to L.A., after um, doing a number of odd jobs related to media, when did you get back into uh, journalism? Yeah. So while I was fun employed, freelancing, PAing, doing all that good stuff, um, I was still writing and I was um, applying to job after job after job. Um, shout out the LA Times for rejecting me for two jobs during that period. Uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget it. <laughs> yeah, that was, I think, seven and eight that go around. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Um, but I did get, I did manage to get hired at, um, another NPR station called KCRW, um, in July of 2019. And, um, KCRW was another place that I had grown up listening to and was very excited and 
really geek to work there. Um, I'll also mention um, it was a significant pay cut from working in television, um, nonprofit radio and cable television. It's vastly different budgets that you're dealing with. Um, but I, I mean, I, I have to imagine based off the number <laughs> of times they ask me for money. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> nonprofit. <laughs> I will say about KCRW, they do have coffers of millions of dollars that they just refuse to touch. And that was a whole other thing that I got into while working there. But I digress. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They do have money. They just don't want to use it. Um, In any case, I know know some dragons that feel similarly. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, I did manage to persuade them to hire me. pay me a little something. I was was making about half of what I made at Vice. But I was happy because it was nonprofit radio and it was something that I felt felt that their mission aligned with my personal ethos. And yes, and KCRW is very LA, LA local. It's like a, it's a household name in the LA area for people that listen to nonprofit radio. Um, There's also KPFK. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's but yeah, just KCRW for those who are listening out of out of LA and out of state, like it is the local NPR affiliate plus Angelino beloved radio program talking about good food, talking about all sorts of like, oh, KCRW, aren't you yes. great, man? That's what I thought. Um, but I was very quickly disillusioned. Um, my first week I was stopped, um, prevented by another employee from entering the building and told that I did not look like I worked there and asked for ID. That was something that repeated itself on an almost weekly basis um, for the entire time that I worked there. Um, many staff members never bothered to learn my name. Um, there were only two black women that were working there at the time. Um, and I was consistently called Tyler. I don't look anything like Miss Tyler. I think I'm a full foot taller than her. Um, we have different colored eyes, different colored skin. God, um, and I, I was just sitting here waiting for you to be like, and by the way, her name is Taylor. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Who knows? But but I decided to leave after bringing issues like this um, to the attention of leadership um, and being ignored. Um, Issues uh, like issues like this meaning being issues of racism, (laughs) being told, being profiled at your place of work. Exactly. Um, There was also an incident. There was also homophobia that was happening. People would make fun of me for being a lesbian. Um, There was an email that was sent around to our entire staff by a correspondent named Francis Anderton, who was advocating for inviting J.K. Rowling to come on the station and educate us about why transphobia is a valid viewpoint. Um, So. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. Uh. Uh, it's not like, uh, sorry, I don't want to take up space. Wow. I'm shocked. I'm just, I'm, uh, thank you for sharing this disillusionment because it is really important to make these realities known. And I am so sorry that you encountered this racial profiling and bigotry against being a queer person. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I mean, when that email went out, there were, um, a number of trans employees that weren't out to the entire staff that also received that email. Um, I think that was probably when I was, when I started to realize like, this is not where I need to be. Um, And this is not the 1980s. 
people. Like, yeah. what year is this? This is yeah. 2019, brink of 2020, or in the midst of 2020? Yeah. Well, huh. funny story about that. Um, I was working there in 2020, um, and it was in 2020 after I was um, – this also goes into how the series went about this. It all kind of ties together at the end. So I was going through all these issues at KCRW. I was realizing, okay, now is, I should probably exit. Um, and I was work. I was still working. I was still going out in the field reporting. Um, and then in May of 2020, um, the George Floyd protests happened. Um, while I was out reporting, I was shot with a less lethal munition by law enforcement and the resulting injuries placed me on bed rest Mm. um, for about six months. Um, And a couple of days after I was shot, um, a young man by the name of Andres Guardado, um, just 18 years old, was shot and killed by two deputy sheriffs who were um, allegedly seeking membership in a deputy gang. And that information came out pretty quickly after Andres was killed. So I'm sitting on my couch thinking like, I really don't want to be on bed rest right now. Um, this is a moment in history and I, this is like really when I need to be doing my journalism. And I saw the news about Andres and I thought, okay, like I've had this question about deputy gangs my entire life. Um, I, I don't have anything to do for the foreseeable six months. Let me start investigating. I had also just taken um, an investigative reporting class offered for free by the Ida B. Wells Society. It was a fabulous six-week course. Um, So I had all these new tools um, and skill sets that I didn't have before, and I felt like I was really in a place to do this investigation justice. So I started investigating, and I spoke to my boss at KCRW, and I thought I proposed, hey, how about, you know, I take some time off and really just focus on this full time. And I was told, no, this isn't the kind of story that we feel is of interest um, or relevant to our audience. And it is not worth our time or the investment of resources. That was really shitty to hear. Ooh, I don't know if I can swear. (laughs) Yeah, you can swear. Okay. That was really hard to hear, really disappointing. Um, So I began shopping the um, proposal for the series around to other legacy media outlets here in Los Angeles. And that was the response that I got at every single place that I took it to. This is not worth our time and resources. Um, This is something that does not, uh, one publication um, told me that because we do not have subscribers in the areas that are affected by deputy gang violence, this is not a story that we will pursue. Um, and personally, I, I didn't wow. get into journalism to have my stories be dictated by who is giving money to my boss. Um, I got into journalism to uh, expose the truth, to shine a light on things that haven't had a light shone on them, to expose injustice. Um, and it was really uh, disheartening to hear that no legacy outlet in Los Angeles County was interested in upholding those ideals. Right. Yeah. That in Los Angeles County, the, that the, the citizens, the taxpayers, the citizens, the, the, the inhabitants of Los Angeles County, the reality of the Los Angeles Sheriff's department was not relevant to them, which in and of itself really belies who this, who this, news who this media is serving 
which is, it's not the people. 100%. Yeah. Um, so in any case, I decided to leave KCRW. Um, it was basically communicated to me that um, because I had been such a squeaky wheel, um, I had become redundant and that all redundant positions would be eliminated. And every we also had unionized. And just two weeks after we unionized, they offered everyone a buyout. Uh. Hey, oh, <laughs> it seems like all of you are in a union. Mm, would these Starbucks gift cards make that go away? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, I chose to take the buyout because I didn't feel like I was getting enough support to... And ser- serving them is not serving you. Exactly. Um, I did feel guilty about it. I felt guilt about leaving um, younger people um, without someone like me who wasn't afraid to speak up. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, I had already like driven myself into a deep depression once before with a job. I felt it happening again. My girlfriend was telling me that it was happening and I had to choose my health and sanity. Um, and in that choice, um, I produced the best thing that I've ever written, um, which I'm very proud of myself for being able to pull off. Yes. So let's talk about that work specifically. Let's talk about like where we are, where Cerise is, where we are today. So you created your series. It's a 15-part series that covers... A, yes. Yeah, go ahead. It's a 15-part series. It covers um, deputy gangs from their inception in the 1970s all the way through to today. And along with the um, 15-part series, um, I also, with the help of the team at Knock LA, was able to build a database which lists all of the deputy gang members and affiliates that I was able to track down. I modeled it after CalGang, which is a database of street gang members that is grossly inaccurate. Police um, agencies all across the state of California use this. Um, I say it's inaccurate because um, it's really at the pol- it's really at law enforcement's discretion who goes into this database, um, and you can get in there on something as simple as where you live. Um, if I live on a block that has a gang that's grounds to be entered into the gang database. If I have a family member that's in a gang, that's grounds to be entered into the um, Cal gang database. Um, and I have many friends that are actually in this database and have been put on injunctions that forbid them from seeing their family members, from visiting their mother's homes, um, all because they happen to be born in a certain area or be friends with a certain, you know, neighborhood person that mm. they literally grew up with. Um, so I, you know, sort of took that concept and sort of turned it on its head and created something that the community can use to find out who exactly is patrolling their neighborhoods and how dangerous those people really are. Wow. Okay. So for the readers out there, if you want to read uh, this series, you can go to lasdgangs.com and you can read... Um, and Cerise's, the wonderful culmination of uh, Cerise's research and investigative work. And not only that, I do believe that there is a very prevalent upcoming election for uh, the, the, the role of sheriff. There is, yes. Um, we have an election coming up. The primary is in June. Um, this is an L.A. race, but I mean, to anyone listening outside of Los Angeles, it's important to note that this is the largest law enforcement agency in the United States. 
and several um, law enforcement agencies across a number of states use policies that are written by the LA County Sheriff's Department, use technology that is employed by the LA County Sheriff's Department, model practices after the LA County Sheriff's Department. So you may not live here, but you it's definitely may be feeling you. the effects. Yes. yes. I, I cannot stress this enough. If you live in America, what happens in America is relevant, even if you don't feel affected by it. I was also going to note um, about the election. Um, we have a very crowded field this year. There are seven people that are running for sheriff, um, including the incumbent. Um, at least half of those candidates are affiliated with deputy gangs. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yes, that's, it is. That, yeah, that's 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 terrifying for people that want to follow and maintain viewer. You, the good thing. Look, I just want earbuds. Listen, I know this stuff. How do I put it? By paying attention, by listening, by watching, by being a view count, by being a, a, a hit on a website, you know, by being a click, what you're doing is you're doing the public service of accountability. You're saying, I'm looking, I'm watching. This is not happening in the shadows. We are shining a light on this. Um, now, Cerise, as outside of the series itself, which people should read at lasdgangs.com, uh, you're doing even more work for the upcoming election, within regards to the upcoming election, right? Yes, yes. Um, so while this is the largest law enforcement um, agency in the United States, um, there were no plans to hold any nonpartisan candidate forums for voters to get to know the candidates um, and where they stand on the issues. So myself and the team at Knock LA, along with a coalition of really um, lovely organizations that work um, in this space, uh, we have come together and we are going to be putting on a series of candidate forums so voters can get to know these candidates and make an informed decision come June. So we have two um, events coming up. Um, tomorrow, we have a forum in the Antelope Valley, which is um, a community in the Los Angeles area that is completely policed by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department um, from the streets um, to the schools. They actually have deputy sheriffs um, in, in elementary schools, middle schools, high schools. Um, and we will be talking with the candidates about budgets, um, accountability, and contracts. Um, the reason they have um, that relationship out there is they have been contracted by various agencies. So we, we will be talking about these contracts and what exactly that looks like and how the candidates feel about that stuff. Um, and then next month, we will be having a another event where we will be talking about training for deputies, um, the jails, um, our county jail system here in LA County is run completely by the sheriff's department. And there are at least four deputy gangs operating inside those jails. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about alternative responses. Um, we've seen uh, just this year, we've had five people already killed by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Half of those people were in the midst of a mental health crisis. In my reporting, I wrote about 19 people killed by deputy gangs, and at least seven of those people were in the midst of a mental health crisis. So, mm -hmm. there, so something is rotten in Denmark, as they say, when it comes to mental health and law enforcement responses. And we really need to talk about what we can, what can be done to fix this, because people should not be executed for having a bad day. Yeah, executed for having an illness. Um, 
Cerise, thank you so, so much for coming here and sharing this with uh, the Hanalize This audience and the earbuds. Earbuds, thank you for listening, um, even just listening and sitting through this and broadening the depth of your own education on these matters, uh, even if it does not result in an immediate action. Um, thank you for doing the beginning. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for listening. And uh, if you do want to take an immediate action, Cerise Castle, would it be helpful for people to follow you online? I mean, you're an investigative journalist. Like, does a social footprint even help you? And if it does, where can people find more about you and your work? It does, because when people engage with my work and they share it with other people, other people will find out about this stuff that I'm working so hard to highlight. So please give me a follow. I'm on Instagram at Your Majesty. I'm on Twitter at Cerise Castle. I'm a very fun follow, so check me no, out check, yes. <laughs> On Twitter, you can go ahead and follow Cerise at Cerise Castle. That's C-E-R-I-S-E-C-A-S-T-L-E. And then on Instagram, that was Your Majesty, right? Mm -hmm. how, now, how, how, does one, how does one spell that? Yeah, it's <laughs> Your, Y-O-U-R-M-A-J-E-S-T-C-E-E. -E -E. Thought I was clever back in the day. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I venture to say it was and is clever today. Um, wow. <laughs> Talk about uh, investigative. I don't even know. I'm blanked out. I've got so much. It's in my head right now. Uh, Cerise, thank you so much for being here. We will be sure to check in with you again later this year. Um, we would love to have you back on Hanalyze This as a as a very powerful news program here in the world. Um, thank you, Earbuds, for listening. And again, please do uh, educate, you know, find the room. Find the room in your day if you if you can. Um, but at the very least, give Cerise a follow over on Twitter, C-E-R-I-S-E-C-A-S-T-L-E. Cerise Castle. Um, and we'll be back next week with more mental health from me to you. Thank you, Cerise. Thank you. All right. Bye for now, everybody. All right, go, go, go drink a cup of tea. Okay. Bye-bye.